So a couple quick things uh, just to announce is we do have day camp, camp coming up in a couple weeks. Uh, we do still need some volunteers. So if you guys are free that week of uh, the 21st through the 25th uh, and you have a little freedom in the morning or in the evening, in the afternoon, uh, just let us know. Uh, if you do have any time, we'll see if that works out, if we can fit you in someplace. Uh, that would be helpful and great. Uh, kind of depends on how many kids we have. So we have a little over 40 signed up now. Keep praying for um, the kids that are going to come, that we would be able to minister to them and continue to teach them who God is in their life, and that that would be a blessing for them this summer. So uh, just be praying for that. And as well, uh, we had talked a long time ago about a directory. So just wanted to announce real quick uh, just kind of our plans for uh, a directory. Uh, directories can be very labor intensive, if you guys didn't know that, uh, to put everything together and whatnot. So uh, Gary Swaggart actually had brought up what they had done in Florida, which seems to work really, really well. And it's an online directory. So there's a little bit less with actually having a physical booklet in your hand. You can print something out, uh, but you do have an online directory. Uh, it, is, it does have a login and a password, so that way not anybody can just jump into our website, get into the directory, and then just find out all your information. Uh, it's a little more private than that. So you do have to have a login and a password. You log into the directory, and then you can look and see who's around. So kind of upcoming, what we're planning on doing is there'll be a sheet to fill out probably next week. Uh, and you'll just put your information down, the stuff that you need, uh, whatever information you want on the directory. And the biggest thing is we need a photo, right? Uh, a photo would be important. So if you guys need to, to have a photo done, uh, we can take a photo here for you. Or if you already have a photo that you really, really want to use, um, there's always those family photos. Sometimes you're on the beach, somewhere else, you know. Maybe it's, that's the photo you want to put in there. That's fine, too. Uh, if you have it in a digital form on the computer somehow, uh, if you can get that to us, we'll put that in the directory. So there'll be a, a company that, that manages this directory, and Gary will kind of be putting it together. So if you have any questions, uh, you can ask him a little bit more detail because he's already done it. Uh, and it is very user-friendly, very easy. So if you're afraid about uh, what that's going to look like, if you uh, don't own a computer, don't like computers, anything like that, uh, Gary will kind of help get you set up a little bit with that. It is really, really easy. Gary said if he can do it, then anybody can do it. So should be, right? See, there you go. So. So just so you guys know, that'll be next week. We'll try to get out a piece of paper for that, just to fill out some information and have a directory. And then that way, uh, it, it is uploaded a little bit more often. So um, if all of a sudden we get more people in the next month, we can put more people on the online directory much faster than trying to create a new booklet and whatnot. So it's just supposed to be a little bit more user-friendly. And with uh, today's age sounds like it's a, a pretty good thing from from how Gary pitched it so uh, if his pitch is as good as it was to me then you know you guys just ask for his sales pitch he'll tell you so anyway just wanted to thank you guys for being here glad you guys are here to, to worship and song and we just want you guys to, to stand and sing with us again we're gonna worship a couple songs uh, let me just pray with you guys first uh, we'll just kind of continue to pray for the summer, that as summer has happened, things have gotten really busy really, really fast for a lot of us. Uh, and we're just going to pray that, that we can really come and keep God the center and the focus in our life. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this morning.
we thank you for the ability to come and to gather with one another. It's exciting to be with one another as your church. And even the times when it's not that exciting, your spirit continues to guide us and help us as we gather with one another. It's a great blessing to have people around when you need them. And it's a great blessing to have people around to speak truth into our lives. And we just ask and pray that you continue to help us throughout the summer, that as plans and, and events and everything just seems to, to take us back and forth as life gets busy, we just ask and pray that you just help us uh, with our attitudes, our heart, with our lives, that we would continue to keep you as the focus. And we just pray this morning that you would continue to help us to go into song and into your word with just a open arms. And we just praise your name. It's in your name we pray. Amen. want to just thank you and uh, say welcome. It's been a couple weeks since uh, I've been up here. In fact, uh, you as a church blessed us with uh, a little bit of vacation time. We got away, and so I'll tell you just one really quick story uh, because there's murmurings about it, so just get cleared up uh, about our vacation, and then we'll, we'll jump into the Word of God together. Uh, we, we left uh, a couple weeks ago to go camping, um, which is, I don't know, it's camping, right? Uh, what we did, uh, in fact, we, we kind of had these, like, so my wife and I come from pretty different positions in the world uh, regarding this particular issue. She grew up camping a lot, had a lot of, like, nostalgic memories about it. I tried to convince her that's because she was the one that just, like, got to go play at the campgrounds, not the one that, like, set up the camper uh, and dealt with all of the problems. And so she no, 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 it's going to be great. Our kids would love it. And so uh, in concession, as uh, we ought to do sometimes, man, I last fall found a really uh, broken down, cheap, ugly looking camper. That's the one that they put the sign on that's like, would make a great hunting cabin, right? Like, don't pull this places. And uh, said, you know, hey, if we bring you somewhere in this as our camping experience, maybe you'll just kind of like have enough of a distaste of it that we won't have to do it again. Uh, and so we, we bought it. It, it kind of backfired on me a little bit because by the winter, there was like a great deal of enthusiasm about the camping trips that we were going to take with this glorious uh, junky camper that we had purchased. And so uh, out of that, we, we planned this trip uh, to go to South Dakota and see Mount Rushmore and then further out to Yellowstone and uh, spend some time there with the kids. Uh, by the grace of God, we were able to do so, uh, able to make it, tied that camper to the back of our car and just went for what seemed like forever, hour after hour after hour after hour. Uh, I felt like in that then the compromise would be that we could get out there and we wouldn't have to camp ever again. Uh, and by like day five or six, uh, in like the, the weakest and lowest parts of Whitney's emotions, I was able to persuade her that that should be the case. And so uh, kids were kind of whiny that day. I was like, hey, we probably don't need to camp anymore. Uh, now out of this, two things that are absolutely true, uh, I really was very resolved that 
I don't think that was going to be like a long-term thing for us, at least not in that camper. And two, uh, that even since I've been a young boy, I always felt like one of the most joyous things I could do was kind of uh, outsmart the system. And so that was like always a source of great joy for me. You know, I'm like the six-year-old kid that's like not unloading the dishwasher because, Mom, you asked me if I could unload the dishwasher, not if I would unload the dishwasher. Right? That's just always been my mentality, a little antagonistic. And so uh, out there, um, figured out that the best way around that when you get permission to say yeah okay we could get rid of this camper when we get back is we don't need to wait that long uh so i went ahead and sold the camper at yellowstone national forest right so hey let me find somebody out here we don't even have to tow it back now the question that came out of that was you know what do you do with the stuff Right? Like, because we packed an entire camper full of stuff. And so uh, my solution was that you would get one of those things that go on the roof of your car and you just fill that. And so we did. We, we found uh, somebody else over by Yellowstone who apparently uh, maybe had similar ideas as me or the exact opposite. Maybe they bought a camper. I don't know. But they were selling a roof rack. And so I was like, this is great. We bought a roof rack. I filled up this entire thing with all of our stuff packed up back of our car and we were off and I got to tell you we got through most of the state of South Dakota and I was feeling like in a level of pride that uh, I sometimes exist in sinfully uh, just like man I am so much smarter than the rest of these chumps pulling these campers uh, in fact <laughs> yeah you can applaud that I was I really hold on though because here's what happens right I was on the phone with a friend of mine telling him how much smarter I was than the rest of these chumps pulling these campers because I had pulled off this marvelous feat. And while I'm on the phone, I kind of feel something and hear something, and I look in my rearview mirror, and uh, there is my sailing roof rack flying through the air uh, and smashing down on the highway to slide out into the median. Uh, fortunately, it's just like a big grass median. Uh, also, fortunately, uh, I have a backup camera on my car, so I just pulled into the middle of the median and reversed myself all the way back. And there in like 95 degree heat uh, and my kids like not really loving this, I'm just grabbing everything out of said roof rack and stuffing it on top of them into the car Kind of, kind of making those like, uh, what do you take, what do you leave decisions, you know, like is, is the do where's the dog on that list? He was already, you know, three miles down. Uh, and so then in that, we're, we're trying to like fit everything in there and, uh, and finally do it. Like Whitney's got pictures of it because uh, she didn't come out to help, right? Like she's just like, oh yeah, here, I'll help. Let me take some photos of this. Uh, and so then out of all of that, like the final Facebook marketplace ad was a roof rack. Uh, no holds, free for the taking, on the corner of I-29 and whatever mile marker we were. And so uh, we just cruised the rest of the way home. So highs and lows, uh, but all in all, it was really a wonderful family vacation and just excited to be back here with you uh, preaching and declaring the Word of God. And so praise the Lord uh, that we can do that. Um, I don't know if we'll ever own a camper again. I do know we'll never own a roof rack again. Uh, and so it's good. Hey, we made it back. It's good. Uh, hey, if you have a Bible, you can grab it. Uh, go with me. We're going to end in Romans 3, so you can head there now. It's going to take us a while to get there, but uh, just trust me, that's where we'll be. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there's a black one in the pew in front of you. It's uh, page 1127 in that Bible, and so you can feel free to grab it and turn there. Uh, the other thing, as you're doing that, I'll have you do uh, is 
just a little bit of housekeeping. If you have a bulletin, you can grab that. Uh, want to explain something that we're going to try to be relatively persistent with throughout this summer. In fact, one of our real hopes this summer is to kind of rest in some of the tangible parts of what the church body looks like and uh, give some time and energy to that. I was, I was seeing this week that it was 28 years ago this week, I want to make us feel old, that the movie Jurassic Park came out to theaters. Anybody 28 years ago watch Jurassic Park in the theater? A couple of Couple of months. I think I did, honestly. I, I remember, I don't know if it was this week, but I remember going to the theaters to watch Jurassic Park have nightmares for like six weeks afterwards. I was going to be eaten by a dinosaur. If you haven't really like enjoyed that movie, I'm sorry. Like you've missed out on a great piece of culture. Uh, I, I really enjoy that movie. Um, in fact, there's, there's a scene in there. Samuel L. Jackson, who's now also old, uh, at the time was not that old, it's like one of his first movie scenes, he's there uh, and plays like this computer technician, and if you remember the plot of the movie, right, like all of the systems go down because there's this crazy storm and there's a, you know, bad guy that shuts them down and all this stuff, and then they try to turn everything back on so that they can like recontain the dinosaurs and save the people's lives, and as you can't spoiler alert a 30-year-old movie, but uh, as they do, the systems come back on, uh, in the computer, but when they do, like, nothing is actually turned back on, and so there's this kind of, like, moment where he goes, hey, it worked, and everybody's looking at him like he's nuts, and they're like, it didn't work, uh, and, and so he goes, no, we just have to go to the other building, and we have to flip on the breaker switch for each system, and, and so in that, um, the comparison I'm going to make is, is out of this past like year or so, uh, in kind of all of the structure and systems that COVID had a way of sort of flipping on its head, and we were uh, really fortunate as a church that God continued to let us worship and gather together uh, and praise the Lord that all of these things happened, but uh, in doing so, really, really kind of toppled some of the ways that we had just for years done things. And so uh, some of those are good, uh, that they had been broken down and that we could reassess them. Uh, and some of those uh, are a little bit different, and now we need to try to figure out what that looks like. And so uh, for a lot of the practical pieces of what we do as a church, so uh, how often we take the Lord's Supper, what that looks like, uh, how often we're doing baptisms, what that looks like, child dedications, service times, serving schedules, where you're going to be in all of these uh, different places. Places, what our nurseries look like, what services look like, uh, what uh, landscaping and maintenance looks like. We have, we have a lot of pieces that got put on pause, and, and what we're hoping to do over the course of this summer is just uh, periodically, and, and with this in mind, is just flip those breakers back on, right? Like we're just coming back and resetting the systems and making sure that we get everything back into place the way that either it was or out of this the way that we hope it will be. And so uh, one of the ways we want to do that and just encourage you to be a part of it is inside of the bulletin, I'm going to draw your attention to a couple things. Uh, one, if you're a guest here with us or, um, or maybe, maybe the Lord's been putting on your heart like, hey, it's, it's time for me to commit to baptism or it's time for me to commit to church membership, right on the inside is a communication card. You can fill that out. Just check one of those boxes or, or multiple of those boxes and you drop it into the offering box in the back as you go this, this week, uh, and we'll get a hold of you, and we'll get set up and kind of answer any questions you might have about any of those things. The second thing is we put an actual insert into this with a few more things. Uh, 
Maybe you want to serve at day camp or aren't really sure what that would look like, but would be interested in knowing about it. Uh, guest services, the nursery, uh, doing some custodial work or some landscape work that we have around here. Uh, maybe, maybe you'd be interested in serving, running the camera sometimes or uh, on the women's team or something else. Uh, just go ahead and fill that out. You can, again, same thing, drop in the offering box on your way out. Uh, but as we work to kind of reset some of those systems, make sure that we have people in place where we as the church are being the church together, uh, we do so with the hope that uh, God will use it, glorify it, and continue to be out of, uh, especially out of this past year where so much logistically was different, uh, that God would use that as a really refining process for us to uh, continue to be better as a church structure-wise and systematically as the people of God, the body of Christ, continue to gather and worship together. All right, amen? All right, pray with me. Let's get into what we're really here to talk about. Heavenly Father, we are uh, humbled and grateful to be here. I I pray that you would encourage and convict us this morning, that we would uh, trust what you have for us as your people, that you would lead us and guide us into the paths of truth, uh, and that as it does, especially as we, we discuss a, a context of something that I, I think deep down most of us kind of know we should be doing and, and pressing into better, uh, but, but the reality is, if we're, we're being honest, we, we just don't, that uh, you would help us through the work of your spirit, that you just bring about that right balance of encouragement and equipping uh, along with a conviction and a challenging in our lives that, that, that we should be about this, Lord, about sharing who you are. And so help us as we discuss it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we, we begin uh, today a new series that's going to take us uh, about the next four weeks or so. Uh, we, we simply entitled the series Proselytize. Uh, and so uh, the hope is that over the next four weeks, we would work through what it looks like to be a people who are sharing or declaring, proclaiming, whatever words you want to use, our faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, uh, if you're unfamiliar with that word, the definition of of proselytize is to convert or attempt to convert someone from one opinion or religion to another. That's, uh, in fact, it's the the main kind of centerpiece of what we're called to do by Christ as believers is that the purpose of us going out into the world is a purpose of proclamation and persuasion. Uh, We've been, during our Sunday school class, 8.30 to 9.30 a.m., got a teacher with a Hawaiian shirt, doing a really great job. If you're not, uh, if you're available, you ought to be there. It'd be great for you. Uh, In that, we've been walking through the book of Acts, and what you watch in the book of Acts is just this consistent nature of proselytizing. In fact, that's the, the sending of the disciples was to go and to make people who would be disciples of Jesus. And so consistently, the word that kind of comes up again and again is that Paul uh, and the other disciples are out there trying to persuade people to come to know Jesus Christ. And so out of this, uh, what we hope to do over the next four weeks is just kind of work through what that looks like now, 2,000 years later, in the 
in the culture that we exist in. And so today, I just I, I want to keep it really basic uh, because I think that we would say as a church that our part of our purpose in life is to declare the gospel, to make the, we, we say it this way, to make the gospel the focus of who we are and not peripheral issues. And so out of this, that we would be a people who are consistently declaring the gospel. But so today, in order to do that, we're just going to talk about what that is. Uh, next week, we'll kind of talk about how we're meant to declare it. Uh, following that, we'll kind of talk about some objections and things that uh, often become stumbling blocks for Christians. Then we'll just finish out with the most fundamental of all that. Why? Why should we be a people who share the gospel? Um, in order to do that, though, I think there's a hurdle that we've got to clear before we even talk about what the gospel is when you speak about how we as believers ought to be proclaiming or sharing Jesus with others, which is, uh, should we, and I mean we collectively, all of us, not just me, I think you could decide that I should be doing that, but I think the idea that all of us should be a people who are converting or attempting to convert people who are declaring the good news of Jesus and trying to persuade others is a universal call of Christianity. And as we exist in the day and age and culture that we live in, I think that very idea is becoming more and more foreign to the culture as a whole. Uh, in fact, I, I remember this very well, uh, despite the fact that it is now several years ago. When I was a junior in high school, I took a class uh, called Business Administration. The teacher uh, was an older man named Mr. Jackson. And uh, I don't know what his first name was. Everybody called him JJ, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume it was like Jim or Joe. I'm going to call him Jim. So Jim, uh, that might not be his name. It'll be better for him if it's not. Uh, Jim was actually a really good guy, really good business teacher. Uh, but I remember specifically one day in the class we had a little bit of downtime. And I don't know what like compelled this random student, who I don't believe was a, a Christian, uh, to ask this. But he looked at him and said, JJ, what is your religion? Which I thought was like a really fascinating question. And like, if you exist in high school world today, like you know that that's kind of like a sensitive, perhaps even off-limits type of question uh, in American culture as it stands currently, and that was even true back in the early 2000s. And so uh, out of that, he looked, and, and almost without missing a beat, he said, well, here's the thing about religion. It's very important to me, but here's what I think. It should be important to people, and no one should talk about it. I mean, is that not, let's just think about this for a second though, is that not the majority opinion of American culture today? I think, I think it's safe to say that you might find uh, in the, the far ends of culture from one side to another, people that have very radicalized views of faith and religion in all different ways, shapes, and forms. Uh, but by and large, I think you would find a really large mainstream that would say, religion is okay, uh, religion's a box that I check off, faith is something that's a part of my life, uh, and, and it may even be important to me, but by and large, what I'm really hoping to accomplish in my average day-to-day -day life is to live so that I don't have to get into it, talk about it, share it, argue about it with anybody. Amen? 
That seemed like a fair statement. In fact, uh, here's, here's where I'm going to go so far as to say, I think for many of us, there are times in our life where this is true, right? You're just kind of hoping you don't have to answer those questions. You're just kind of hoping you could avoid the subject altogether. There's an inconvenience about it. There's a potential confrontation coming. Uh, there's some type of way, shape, or form or reason that we would just like to kind of sidestep the issue as a whole. Amen? A couple honest ones here. Okay, so, so here's the thing, right? Uh, this has been the case in a growing and growing fashion in our culture. I'm going to read you some statistics from 2003, same, same time period as Mr. Jackson saying, hey, I want to keep this private. Here's statistics coming from American Christians. It says less than half of all believers, 46%, felt strongly that they have the responsibility to communicate their faith to non-believers. This, by the way, represents a significant decline from a decade ago. And this is 2003. I promise you that number has declined more. Uh, millions of born-again adults have been influenced by the cultural cry for tolerance and acceptance of diversity related to personal beliefs and behaviors. Sound like that's increased in the last 20 years? I, I hope it does, right? No, no matter what the actual figure for evangelizers may be, most of the faith-sharing believers deserve credit for having shared their faith with non-Christians because, listen to this, uh, they feel that evangelism is not their spiritual gift. Only 1% of all adult believers contend that they have the spiritual gift of evangelism. That means sitting in rooms like this all across the country, 99 out of 100 believers say, I don't think I'm gifted in the area of evangelism, that word means the sharing of the good news of Jesus Christ. That there's just not something I'm good at. Indisputably, evangelism is not a priority of most Christians. Less than one out of ten said they've ever intentionally built a relationship with someone in the hope of being able to lead the person to Christ. Fewer than one of every five believers claim to know a non-Christian well enough to share their faith with the individual in a context of trust and credibility. And even though a large majority of believers contend that Christians and churches should share their religious beliefs with others, only 4% consider sharing faith with non-believers as the most important outcome they want to accomplish in their life. This, in turn, is probably related to the fact that only one of every eight adult believers feels adequately prepared to effectively share their faith. lot there. Uh, in that, I think we could conclude this, that the general prevailing wind in Christianity, in the culture we exist in right now, is that you and I, as we sit in rooms like this, and many other local church bodies like us, feel like it is uncomfortable to share the gospel, especially as the winds of culture seem to blow uh, further and further away from Orthodox Christianity. Not only is it uncomfortable, but we're feeling consistently inadequate and incapable of knowing how we might do that. Amen? You with me so far? That, that this seems like something that is a little beyond what we think we're able to do as believers, and not only that, but maybe the kind of culmination of those two things is that by and large, most of us are avoiding, missing, or, or simply callous to the very idea that we would look for opportunities to actually share our faith in Jesus Christ. Fair? Diagnose the problem? 
Here's, here's the thing. Uh, in order to kind of deal with what it is that we ought to share, let's just note that the Scriptures are, are not only clear about it, um, they speak so repetitively about this being the call of what it means to be someone who knows and follows Jesus that it is hard to make any case against the fact that you and I, among the foremost of the priorities and purposes of your life, exist to declare Jesus Christ to those who God places in our lives. That that's one of the major, if not the major purpose of your life is to declare Jesus. Let me just read you a few of them. Uh, and I'll start from kind of a directive basis more so than a uh, kind of general or descriptive basis. But just listen to how Jesus is consistently declaring this of us. From Matthew 10, uh, he looks at his 12 disciples before he commissions them or sends them out. This is the constant call of his disciples. He brings them along so that he would send them out. He says this, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in the synagogues. And you will even be brought to governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour, listen to this, what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. He sends them out. Matthew 28, Jesus has died, has resurrected from the dead before he ascends to heaven. This is the very last thing that Matthew the Apostle records of Jesus. He says, Jesus came up to them, his disciples, and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I, I hold the keys. I'm in charge. You follow me now. And here's the command. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. This falls right in line. Uh, we just looked through the entire Gospel of John over the last six months. You see that Jesus is consistently doing this with his disciples in John. In fact, John 17, in the high priestly prayer, Jesus is praying for his disciples directly before he's going to head to the cross. And the prayer that he has for them is to the Father, as you, Father, sent me, Jesus, into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Acts 1.8, Luke's final words of Jesus before he ascends into heaven is, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. The Apostle Paul said it this way to the church in Corinth when he writes to them, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, the basis of how we come to know God, that we have fear, reverence, awe of God, he says this, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are manifest also in your conscience. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2, you and I were, were a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Or as John, which we just finished up, says at the very end, Jesus, looking at his disciples, said to them, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. 
and we could just go on and on and on and on, but we won't. Uh, that the gospel account consistently is meant by us to be shared with the world. That was the commission, that we would go forth declaring the good news of Jesus Christ. And not just people like me, but rather all of us who have come to know Christ would be a people who declare the truth of who He is. Now, let me just give you one caveat, and then we'll, we'll kind of finish with what the gospel actually looks like. Um, I think one of the most popular versions of, of evangelism avoidance is is this, uh, it's a kind of a manipulated quote from a guy named Fr St. Francis of Assisi who's uh, an old saint and, and quotes it this way, that we would share the gospel always and we would use words if necessary. Uh, the difficulty with this is that uh, if we really trust and understand what the gospel message is, words are always necessary. Because without them, what you have shared indeed only is not the gospel, but rather is some format of Christian legalism. Uh, and so what happens is when we just kind of live lifestyles that reflect Jesus without ever really talking about the fact that Jesus is the motivation behind our lifestyle, what you end up getting is a declaration that to be a Christian, you have a list of things that you ought to do and a list of things you ought to avoid. I, I had somebody this week that I met with that, that said this very thing. Uh, he said, well, I'm not a Christian. I said, well, what do you think it means to be a Christian? He said, well, I know that Christians don't drink and don't smoke and they don't kill people. <laughs> said, I got two out of those three, but you pick which one isn't, right? Like, they're consequential. And so, so out of this, in fact, they're quite different in their consequence. And so out of this, here's what had happened. His experience of what he had seen of Christianity had defined what he thought Christianity really was, and the definition he came to was not Christianity at all, though those might be some implications of Christianity. You're a Christian, you probably shouldn't murder people. However, you're not a Christian, also don't murder people, don't, you know, just declaring that let's get that one out there right but look at this here's here's how Paul deals with this in Romans chapter 10 Paul is going to say that the basis of the gospel message he's quoting a prophet Joel is in Romans 10 13 he says whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved but then he goes this way here's the progression how then will they call on him in whom they've not believed and, and how will they believe in whom they have not heard? And, and how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Paul's recognition is that if those who are saved are saved because they believe that they can't believe in the truth of the gospel unless someone is willing to declare it to them unless someone is willing to preach, unless someone is sent. Now you, you go, well, you're a preacher, I'm not. That's, that's not what he means by the definition of that word there because he follows it up with sent, and you remember that Jesus has just been quoted over and over and over again, looking at a whole bunch of disciples going, I send you, all of you, not just a couple of you, but that it is the universal call of believers to go forth and proclaim Jesus. And so then we, we turn to this, and this is where I want to kind of conclude our time and really, really just spend some time thinking 
about what it looks like is simply, what is it that we declare? What is the gospel? Now, if you're a note taker, uh, I would tell you, grab that bulletin, grab the bottom of it. Uh, I'm not very easy to take notes from. I know that I talk fast and I'm all over the place. I, I understand. Uh, I'm going to try my best to help you here uh, really structure this because, because here's what I want to do. As we answer this question, what is the gospel? I come up with, uh, though I'm sure the list could go on, uh, I come up with four things specifically that it's not. Four warnings, if you will. I put them up on slides so that you can kind of follow along with me. But I want you to think through these, and then uh, for, well, along with it, four things that the gospel is, or four ways that you can kind of know what it is you're declaring as the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's, let's start with the thoughts, and then we'll finish with the, the, what it is. The first is this. Um, the gospel is, is not based in being a better person through prayer or church attendance, or Bible reading, or lifestyle change. That's not what the gospel is. In fact, uh, consistently, I think the impression of what it means to be a Christian is that you clean your life up. Here's the, here's the reality. Praise God that you and I don't need to be a better person, more consistent in reading our Bible, more consistent in praying, doing things the right way in order to be saved and under the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen? Because you ain't very good at it. Couple honest people again, right? Because the reality is, if we're going to take an honest look at our lives, all of us know that we could look along these things and go, oh man, I'm just not there. Of course you're not. That's the nature of the Christian message is that you aren't good enough. One of the most devastating realities of American church is there are millions of people out there who think that they can't be here because they've just jacked their life up too much. And the, the unfortunate reality is you're not out there telling them, yeah, I'm jacked up too. Of course you can be here. If that was the criteria, they'd have to kick me out. We're getting more honest. Some of you that didn't say amen, I could do it for you. Uh, out of this, right, we, we have to understand. You have to understand that as you declare Jesus, what we exist to declare are not just the implications of the gospel and how it affects the morality of our life. It is that Jesus saves, not, not you improving your life, not you doing better in Bible study, not you doing better by checking the box by being here. The second, uh, and let's, let's get a little more controversial in these next couple, uh, here's the second one. The gospel is not agreement with social, ideological, or political implications of biblical truth, nor is it shared through moral objections to sin only. Let me, let me define what I mean by this or kind of give you an example of how I think this plays out. I have frequently, frequently talked to believers who will tell me that they have shared the gospel with a neighbor, a coworker, or a friend uh, in Going on to describe it, what they've actually described is that they've shared a stance on a particular 
position, whether that's a social position, whether that's a political decision, whether that's some type of ideological position uh, that goes along with or is an implication of biblical truth. So maybe it's a stance on abortion, for example, right? And so out of this, they have shared why they might be consistently pro-life without ever declaring anything about God, anything about Jesus, anything about the work that he has done in their life, and misinformed in that believe that what they've shared is the gospel. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that those things aren't important. They are, right? And I'm not saying don't talk about them. You should, just the same way that we won't keep the gospel to ourselves. We shouldn't keep things that really matter and are really important to ourselves. One of the disgusting things of our culture is that we feel like the best thing we could do is just talk about the weather. That's not helpful, right? Let's talk about things that matter. And so that's good. However, if, if you begin and you lead just on the moral implications of who Jesus is and you don't ever declare what actually brings about those things, you've missed it. You've missed it. In fact, if you have persuaded somebody to take your position on a particular moral, moral, social, or ideological position without them coming to know Christ, you still have missed it. Amen? Because, because we could make sinners who are a little less sinful still on their way to hell. And wouldn't that be a shame? Amen? And so, so I'm not saying those things aren't important. I'm just warning you. I think that's one of the most, in conservative rural America, that's one of the most common misses of all, is that we get focused on a secondary thing and believe that we're actually doing a primary thing. That's not the gospel. Now, not only that, along with it, this is kind of the religious version of this exact same thing, the gospel is not simply saying, you ought to believe in God or I'm praying for you. I think we let ourselves off the hook with this also and go, oh yeah, I shared my faith with this person. What would you say? Oh, I said I'm praying for you. Or I said God bless you before they left. What's that mean? Come on, if you, you have no interaction with Christianity, you don't know how Jesus works in your life and somebody says God bless you, you're going to get saved from that? Right, but, but in that, because we know, in fact, I think part of that is a lack of courage because we know that like, that in and of itself, not that offensive. Amen? And, and so what we do is we just kind of hint at or kind of flirt with this idea and think, well, so, as long as I say that, you know, I've, I've planted the seed. And so often that is our excuse to kind of avoid or, or slip away from what is actually your opportunity and responsibility as a believer to declare the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not, I'm not telling you to go to like every random McDonald's worker and just take like the next three minutes in the drive-thru and, and blurt out the full gospel message to them whether they want it or not. I'm just, just telling you that we ought to be cautious about what we assume is the right thing to share in the right situations. Uh, here's the last one before we get into specifically what I think it looks like or the most concise way we would say this is the good news of Jesus. The gospel is not a baptism. It's not a confirmation class. It's, it's not a special heavenly language put upon you, and it's not a repeat-after-me prayer said at Vacation Bible School. I hope I offended everybody. Uh, maybe, right? Here's, here's what I mean by this. In the church, there are so many different things that, that we use as, 
as confirming and declaring that someone has submitted their life to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus Christ, that over the years and over the generations, we've confused what faith in Jesus is to find it in the creation or in the things that were meant to remember that rather than in the faith itself. Amen? Are you with me there? You understand what I'm saying this? Right? Like, water baptism is, is a glorious thing. The, the picture of water baptism is you uh, going under the water and coming out of the water to declare that your old self, the one that was dead in trespasses and sins, is gone. Like Jesus was crucified and buried, you are laid down. And what comes up is a new creation, not one of your own doing, but it belongs to to Christ. You are in Christ now. The picture of that is meant to carry you forth as someone who is walking in Christ for your life. And it's meant to declare to all those who see it that this is true. However, that water's not special. Right? That water's not holy. That water in and of itself does not supernaturally take you from death to life. It's just a picture, an image of what God has done through faith. And so when we start clinging to those images, we start to lose sight of what God is actually doing in our soul. Amen? And so, so you be careful understanding that the gospel does not exist in one of those things. And, and I tried to, tried to hit on a bunch of them because it depends on what your background in church is, but chances are one of those has been kind of put on an incorrect pedestal at some point in your life. So, so then out of this, where do you find in the scriptures the consolidated gospel message? What, what is it? What's the gospel? Well, I, I think you could go to many places in the Bible. Where I want to finish tonight or this morning just for a couple minutes is in Romans chapter 3. Paul writes the, the book of Romans. It's, it's the only letter we know of for sure that Paul writes to just an audience that he doesn't know that he's never met. I think out of that, it's safe to assume that he's going to give us a most comprehensive view of what he knows and understands to be truth as declared to him by Jesus. And so he's going to kind of give us this picture of what the gospel looks like, what it, that good news actually is. Now, here's, here's how it works. Um, I, I do this, and, and maybe this helps you, especially if you're a note taker. I just do this in four categories Four words, I'll give you the word, and then I'll give you like the concept that goes with it. The first is God, right? And so, so out of this, uh, I think what Paul would mean for us to know in Romans 1 is that human beings are created by and accountable to God. In fact, uh, he begins Romans with some, some uh, salutations, and then out of this, he says, For I'm not ashamed, this is 116, of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. Now, this is where he starts then as he begins to define what that is. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. His starting point in what it looks like to know the good news of Jesus is that we are primarily not accountable to ourself in life, but that you are accountable to God. That you and I are created by, exist for, and lay ourselves at accountability to the God of the universe, whether we recognize it or not. 
Now, the second place where he goes, and note this, he spends the bulk of his time in this place, as I think we need to as a culture today, is with man. And, and here's what his primary point is, is that the problem with humanity, the problem with man, is our rebellion against God. Here's, here's the deepest issue. It is that you and I are not good people. You're not primarily good. He says that we suppress the truth and unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them, within us, for God has made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. And then it says this, for even though they, that's all mankind, we knew God, we didn't honor him as God or give thanks, but we became futile in speculations and our foolish heart was darkened and professing to be wise we became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and birds and four-footed, an- four-footed animals and crawling creatures here's here's where Paul he's going to go on this is that's Romans 1 he's going to go on through all the rest of 1 all the rest of 2 and the bulk of chapter 3 and this is what he's trying to focus on you are not right before God who is holding you accountable. God's looking at us, holding us accountable, and we're rebelling against Him so that His wrath rests upon you in your power and your ability. That is, as we live our lives according to what we are, the wrath of God rests on us. And then he goes here. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. Here's, here's point three. Jesus, you want it one word? So we got God, man, Jesus. The only solution for the sin of humanity rests on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That the law brings about a knowledge of sin. It convicts us of our rebellion against God. It leaves us condemned before God because of our sin and rebellion. But apart from the law, God sends righteousness through faith in Jesus for all who believe. goes on to say, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And therefore, we're, we're being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Jesus Christ. Jesus comes to save, to redeem. How does He do so? Well, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because of the forbearance of God. He passed over sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith 
in Jesus. Here's the central tenet to the gospel message that while God is ultimately who we stand accountable to and while man is ultimately sinful and rebelling against him, God satisfying both his justice to deal right with sin and his love for us as the justifier sends not us to pay for our sin, but sends his son Jesus to be a propitiation. That that church word means the one who takes care of, who covers up, who pays for our sin and unrighteousness, who satisfies God's wrath against us. And then it says this, here's the last one, our response, if you're going one word, God, man, sin, response, our response is through faith in Jesus. That Jesus Christ is received in faith. It's not Go all the way back to the beginning, right? It's not your works. It's not your church attendance. It's not, I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I didn't murder anybody. It is only through faith in Jesus Christ, the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let me close with this. Four questions. You write them down if you want. You can... Use them in conversations as you declare Jesus. Or, or maybe, maybe this morning, you just need to ask these in your own life. Who made you? And to whom are you accountable? What's the problem in our life? What's, what's the problem with humanity? Number three, What is the only solution? And number four, how do you come to be included in that solution? How do we make sure the gospel is good news for us? Pray with me. Lord, my my sincere prayer, my hope, today is that we would be a people, I'd be a person of a body of Christ together, that we would be uh, so uh, in love with you and so desiring to be obedient to you that you would compel us to share boldly and consistently to proclaim the good news of who you are to uh, whoever it is that you might put in front of us for that purpose. And that that we wouldn't get distracted by other things and we wouldn't be uh, lulled into believing that it's not our opportunity or our responsibility, but that you would press us, convict us, encourage us as you equip us to share the good news of who you are. That we would remember that we stand first and foremost accountable to you. That we among all people are a part of rebellion against you who have not satisfied your righteousness and so your wrath rests upon all those who are outside of faith in Christ and yet in your love for us you made a solution the solution of Jesus and and in this Lord I pray that we would be a people of faith and and maybe maybe this morning there's some sitting here who go I, I don't know if the gospel is good news 
or me, I, I pray that your spirit is moving in such a way that they would recognize that it is not by their workings, it's not by them trying harder, it's not by them doing more, it's simply by letting go of unbelief and placing faith in Jesus. Let them be a people who place faith in you this morning. Pray that your spirit work in mighty ways. In Jesus' name.